Hello with CP Podcast listeners. This is your host, Julia. It is Tuesday, August 30th, and it is 12.44 p.m. I am sitting at home. It is a nice, bright, sunny day. And today I have one of your most favorite guests, (laughs) David Domke. (laughs) David, would you like to say hello? Yes, thanks, Julia, for doing this. So happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for taking the time out of your busy, busy schedule to join us today. So today we are going to be discussing the 2022 midterms. Uh, We are meeting the moment and we have an upcoming fundraiser on September 20th from 5 to 6 p.m. PDT. And we're here to talk about some of the major ticket issues in the upcoming midterm elections and why it's important for us to meet the moment with a fundraiser, with our field work kickoff, and just what an important time, pivotal time it is for American politics right now. So David, would you like to start us off? What was that? Would you like to start us off? Yeah, yeah, sure. So this this is uh, an a unique midterm election cycle. So first of all, midterm is refers to mid middle of the presidential term. So we're in middle of the way, roughly through a four year presidential term by the time we get to the election this fall. So it's midterm. Um, the president is not on the ballot, but everybody else um, in the house, every, everybody in the house of representatives is up for election because they're up for election every two years. And one third of the U.S. Senate is up for election because that's the way the Senate works. One third is up every two years. Uh, and then at the state levels, there's all every House of Representatives seat is up because they're up every two years. And then some of their senators are up for election and some governors are up for election. This election, this midterm and midterms occur every four years because every middle of a presidential term they occur. Um, we're, we're just seeing a lot of unusual pieces. Uh, the president himself, Joe Biden, has not been super popular during the course of his presidency, but he has been passing some legislation in the, the Congress. The Democrats have been moving some things through the Congress. And then President Biden himself has issued some executive decisions around abortion rights and around student loan forgiveness that have actually begun to help his, his public approval rating. Um, and that's and gas prices have been dropping, too, and that helps him. So because that's occurring, um, that's one thing that, that kind of suggests to us that maybe this election cycle that looked very, very dreary for the Democrats initially will is actually starting to turn and to look like it could be either neutral, at least possibly neutral, but maybe even slightly positive for the Democrats. And so we should talk a bit about that because that's a big shift. And it's what we're raising money for to go do work to make it so, Julia. Yeah, thank you for that introduction, David. So I've done a little bit of research on the midterms. And is it true that the midterms haven't necessarily been historically favorable to the sitting president's party? Like, for example, if um, we have a Democrat as a sitting president, often the midterms will tend to sway the other way. Yeah, that's exactly the way it is. That when you look at history, let's go all the way back to what people often identify as the beginning of the modern presidency, which is kind of Franklin Roosevelt in, starting in 1932 during the Depression. Um, when you look back at all the midterm elections from that period forward, 
the presidential, whoever, whichever political party has the presidency, their party tends to do poorly in midterm elections because the public is seen as, oh, it's, it's, it's kind of like trying to balance the scales and are often aren't happy with the president. Uh, they're like the president's not delivering as much as they, they claim they would. So yes, and when approval ratings for presidents are low, which they've been for Joe Biden, it really, really goes poorly for the dumb, for the, uh, for the president's party. So that's what we would expect if the pattern holds. Right, right, exactly. So, so what are some of the big ticket issues that are up for essentially voting, um, in these upcoming midterms? Well, we we all know that right now, you know, there's probably nothing more important than the climate and the way the planet's kind of warming. And in the United States, uh, we would also have the distinct political issues of abortion rights and the kind of autonomy and access that women and pregnant people have over their bodies. Our voting rights and democracy in general is under assault in America. And Republicans and Donald Trump have, have made clear that they have no intention of backing off that. So I, I would say that those climate, abortion rights, and voting, voting justice, what we focus on here, common power voting, uh, common power, the common power of voting justice um, would be at the top. And then for many Americans, always perennially there is the status of the economy. Are people getting jobs? How are their wages doing? What does the inflation look like in the country? So I would say that that, that cluster, the economy, climate, democracy, abortion rights, would be the ones that are going to really drive this election. Right. I know, um, I know that inflation is a big issue on a lot of Americans' minds right now, especially like you mentioned earlier, gas prices um, have reached some highs in the past few uh, years. And um, I definitely know a lot of like my friends and peers and have been struggling at the grocery store with some grocery bills. Um, what are your thoughts on the different parties perspectives on inflation? So inflation is uh, is the is the the kind of um, process by which prices for goods rise at a greater clip than wage earnings on average for people. So when people are not getting salary increases um, and prices are rising, then we call that inflation, that the prices are going rising faster than wages. Uh, in, in, the, in this country, as a, as a person who's committed to equity as much as possible, I've, I'm all about raising wages for people, particularly for those who exist in, in hourly working circumstances, where, which is more often service and entry-level positions. Um, and so prices rising, to me, are not as big of a concern as whether wages are rising. Right now in this country, uh, coming out of the pandemic, um, there's been so much pent up demand for products that we have, that people producing those companies producing those haven't been able to do it at a quick enough clip. And so the, the, the high demand for products allowed sellers to, to increase their prices at a very quick pace. And those prices have risen faster than wages. 
So we've had really bad inflation for about the last year and a half coming out of the pandemic. It looks now that actually the economy is going so strongly that wages and jobs are now catching up to those prices. And so that inflation is slowing down. The rate of inflation is slowing down to what is a more normal kind of process, which is where it's about two, one to two percent a year in which the prices are a little bit higher than the wages uh, instead of six to seven percent, which is what it's been. So it, to the extent that it's slowing down, I'm really a fan of that. And why is it slowing down? Well, I think it's because the Democrats have put um, uh, dollars into the economy and have prioritized um education and labor and uh, uh, entry-level uh, minimum wage dollar amounts of $15 and more around the country. So I'm, I, that's generally the Democrats' side of things. It's like pushing up wages, trying to do that. The Republican model is t- tends to be the argument that wages are fine, so let's, let's create a system where where products and prices don't rise too quickly because they don't really want wages to go up very much. And they do that through a deregulation of, of systems so that sellers can sell their prices, their products at a lower price. So the Republicans are about trying to keep product prices low and the Democrats are about trying to raise wages. I'm all about the Democratic side. Like I think we all benefit when wages increase. And so I tend to stand in that model, and I want to keep putting money into the economy, which is what the Democrats just did with a massive Inflation Reduction Act piece of legislation that put a lot of money towards climate uh, improvements. And not as much as we could, but more than ever done before. So I'm a fan. I'm a fan. And thankfully, prices are slowing down a little bit, and so we're starting to get closer to equilibrium. Right. Yeah, I was also a fan of the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, I love that there was like huge like pieces of climate um, pieces in there as well. I think on a scale that hasn't been done before. I mean, in my opinion, I think there could be more done for the climate still, but I think it's a definitely a step forward in the right direction. So I was really excited about that too. Absolutely. It, it, it's, uh, it's one of those situations where it's not enough but it's better than we've ever done before, exactly, right? Yeah. And so, so, so I appreciate that. Like to someone your age, you're like, it's not enough. Like that's a factual reality. It's not enough. And to someone my age, I'm like, but it's the best we've ever done. Okay. <laughs> and so the reality is that like we, 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 it's, we needed to get to a place where it is enough and it's the best we've ever done. Um, and only one party's really interested in that. So the Democrats are a deeply flawed party, but at least they're trying to, to, to like build a better boat. And I appreciate that. Right. So an, another um, big piece of legislation that you briefly touched on earlier that Biden has been working on recently is his campaign promise of the student loan forgiveness. Um, yeah. What I've read in the news is that he wants to forgive about 10,000 dollars worth of undergraduate debt um and then aside from that I, mean, I don't know the specifics of that piece but it does sound like he's been delivering more on one of his major campaign promises he sure has um that was one of the things he, he promised um his uh fellow colleagues running in the election elizabeth warren and bernie sanders issued uh, stronger claims to, to, to uh, 
forgive even more. Um, but Joe Biden said he would deliver uh, at a certain level, and he he did. He delivered ten thousand of student loan forgiveness to any person, and up to twenty if people have received Pell grants, which are often target, which are primarily targeted to lower income individuals. I mean, in America, lower income correlates with uh, people who are uh, people of color, particularly in this country. So this is a policy that works to the benefit of more people of color than on average white Americans. And so I'm really, really pleased about that addition of the Pell Grant uh, dimension of the party, of the of the policy. Now, there's ways you can critique this approach. It's not enough. It's not enough. It should be more. Or you can critique it as too much, like you don't think it's the right thing to do. I think all of those are open for debate. That's okay. I, I support this policy greatly because I know how much tuition costs, both as a person who's been a professor and as a parent of a child who's going to college. So I know how expensive it is. I would love for us to tackle college costs separate from student loans. Like, like th this policy does nothing about college costs. It does nothing to address that. I think it's outrageous how much tuition costs in this country. If we really believed in education, we would do so much more as, and lower the prices. But, but it was an action that the president could take on his own without getting Congress to approve it. And so he had to do what he could do, and I appreciate it. And turning to common power connection, we're out mobilizing voters, uh, and we're seeking to energize them, and we're particularly... Um, in a midterm election, the Democrats have struggled over time to turn out younger voters and to turn out voters of color who often are not satisfied with the policies that have been put into place from the president, because the president would campaign on one set of ideas but wouldn't often pursue them and actually make them happen. This is a policy outcome, the student loan forgiveness, in the way it was designed and the way it's being enacted. That, that absolutely targets younger voters and voters of color. And, you know, Biden, I give him credit for doing that. I give him credit for the diversity of the judges he's appointed. In a lot of ways, he's, he's carrying through his general kind of commitment to trying to build a more equitable society. For common power, that will matter in terms of our ability to mobilize voters. Those who feel like this president sees them, hears them, cares about them, and that now... Uh, that he's going to fight for them and younger voters and voters of color are feeling a bit of that. That's good. That's to our advantage. That's really great. And so I'm thrilled that he's done this. I'm thrilled that he's making it a priority um, and that he's followed through on this. Right. That's, I agree. I definitely think the student loan forgiveness um, policies that he, he's been enacting definitely reach and target a very different donor base. I'm sorry, not, sorry, not donor base. Um, a different voter base um, than we've traditionally Yeah, voter base, seen. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I was actually in Wisconsin this month um, knocking on the doors of some voters trying to get them out for the Wisconsin primary elections. Um, and we were out there supporting Mandela Barnes for Senate. Um, yeah. And it was really interesting because we were knocking on the doors of, like, predominantly black neighborhoods and uh -huh. speaking to them about these issues. And a lot of the voters that we spoke to knew Mandela Barnes personally. They see him um, as a fellow mm. member of the black community. And 
honestly, it didn't take a lot of convincing for a lot of them to say like, yes, I want to vote for Bandela Barnes, because I think a lot of them saw like a fellow member of their black community running for Senate and they see themselves refle reflected um, in the representative. And for some people, that's all they really need, right? Um, is to see that their identities are being representative, their issues, their opinions, their thoughts are being seen and heard and felt. Yeah, that, that's been an experience that we have at Common Power all the time, which is when we show up in communities campaigning for diverse candidates and we show up in communities that are themselves diverse, that they exhibit an energy and, an, and, a, and a determination that is so inspiring. It's awesome. And it's everything that we're trying to build in this country. And everybody should have the chance to feel that way about their elected officials. We should all be able to look at our elected representatives and see ourselves, you know, adequately represented there. Um, so Barnes there in Wisconsin in black communities, in Florida with Andrew Gillum in 2018, um, in, with, yeah, in Wisconsin with Tammy Baldwin, who is the first openly gay female to serve in the U.S. Senate, in uh, lots and lots of places, the Reverend Raphael Warnock in Georgia, uh, Catherine Cortez Masto, the only Latina in the U.S. Senate in Nevada, um, this is the places and the candidates I mentioned and aren't just off the top of my head. These are people who are common power candidates that we have supported or we are supporting. And that's part of what we're working for. We're not just working for elected. We, we, we aren't just working for better elected officials. We are definitely doing that, but we are not just doing that. We are also working for diverse elected officials. And that representation matters in ways that sometimes we understand it and sometimes we just don't but it's still important to do. So I'm thrilled that Barnes is the candidate in Wisconsin. He's got a good chance, and by good, I'll put it at like 50%. I'm not putting it at like 70%. Good chance means he's got a shot to, to win the Senate election, and that would make a huge difference because that would swing a Republican seat to the Democrats in the U.S. Senate. So that's a state of focus for us. And when we're raising money for our fundraiser, we're raising money to send 200 plus volunteers. I'm sorry, 100 plus volunteers. Um, and we're trying to raise $200,000 to send them out into the field to do work for a Barnes, for a John Fetterman, for a Raphael Warnock, for a Stacey Abrams, for a Beto O'Rourke, for a Katie Hobbs, a Mark Kelly, a Catherine Cortez Masto, all of these incredible candidates around the country that we're working for. And either we need to go or we need to help support people that can go. And so we, we're committed to that, and we, we offer the double win for donors. The donors often want to give money to candidates specifically. Well, we offer a double win where you can support a candidate and support our leadership development power by giving money to us. Because we're going to funnel the, the resources to supporting candidates. We're going to do it by mobilizing our volunteers, particularly our next generation leaders to do this. So I, I feel ethically really great about asking for money <laughs> for Common Power because I know who benefits from it. Exactly. So, so David, that's an interesting point that you've brought up is like, often we have a lot of um, donors who talk about like, well, why don't I just donate to the campaigns directly? Yeah. So one thing yeah. that um, I've heard Charles, um, our ED say is, the one thing that's very unique about Common Power is that often 
when we show up to phone banks, when we show up on the ground to knock on the doors of voters, when we're text banking, often common power makes up a majority of the of the volunteers that are present there that show up for these campaigns. Um, and, you know, Charles has said that while you can give to these campaigns, if you give to common power, like you're supporting capacity, like common power has capacity, which um, I think a lot of these campaigns do have capacity to some extent, but um, when you donate to Common Power, you're supporting capacity for us to help these campaigns, and then also, like you mentioned, leadership development as well. So it's a double win for donors for sure. Yeah, and it's it's it's. I can understand how someone who hears us might be like, "Come on, are you really like the largest group to show up to support this candidate, or or like, are you the most consistent?" Well, we're not saying we're the only ones, but it is not uncommon for us in common power to show up with more human power and to show up. And when we do show up to work longer hours um, on behalf of candidates. So our footprint, like if we were to come up with a, a metric of like footprint per volunteer, per organization, I put us way up there. Um, and, and that is something that we're proud about and it's something that we're committed to. And Charles, in the way that he leads our field work, is kind of like that's what you get when you go out in the field with our folks. You're going to do work and we're going to maximize our time there. Uh, it's like going to a national park and you want to see everything and do everything you can in your limited time there. Well, we're going to do all we can when we're in a Wisconsin or a Georgia or a Virginia or a Texas. We will. And that's where we make the commitment to everybody who gives money to us that that's the way we're going to steward your dollars. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, would you, could you provide some of the details on what the $200,000 will be going towards in terms of um, how we're using it out in the field? Yeah. So uh, it costs about $2,000, we've determined, um, to pay for airfare, lodging, ground transportation, and food while a volunteer goes into the field for what we identify as four to five travel dates total. That includes travel there and back. Um, so four to five uh, days of that. And it's about 2000 per per volunteer for that amount of time. Because airfare is not cheap right now and transportation and hotels and so on. So every dollar someone gives us is going to go towards raising 200000 Um in which case that would give us 100 plus volunteers that could, could travel out into the field under this, this, this program, under this fundraiser. Uh, what will they do? They will knock on doors when they're out there. They will be in community with other volunteers. We will inspire and energize the volunteers who are living there, who are thrilled that someone else cares about them enough to come there on our own dime to do this work. That's one of the untold or the often awesome surprise realities for our volunteers is how much it matters to the locals that we come. They don't actually look at us as these privileged people. They look at us as like, thank you for coming and caring. Um, so that's where the money's going to go. And uh, every one of these dollars is committed towards that. And that's why we're seeking to raise it in our political action committee arm, which means it's not tax deductible. Um, and so that's our desire here because it allows us to do partisan political work for it. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and then for the fundraiser event itself happening on September 20th yeah, yeah, yeah. from 5 to 6, what's the agenda looking like? So on September 20th, which is National Voter Registration Day, we are doing a fundraiser. Uh, we're we're culminating this fundraising push with an event. So it, it's a fundraiser event, but it's like kind of like the conclusion of this fundraiser window. Um, and the win who is the first Asian-American female to win a, a seat in the Georgia State House of Representatives. And she holds a seat there now, and she's running for the state secretary, the statewide secretary of state position. We're some, we've worked a lot for B Wins campaign. And uh, as part of like that relationship that we built with her and her staff, she's coming to, to Seattle to meet with some of our leaders and to also uh, raise some money for her campaign as well. She'll be meeting with some different people while she's here. As part of her time in Seattle, she's going to be our special guest at the Common Power um, Fall Fieldwork fundraiser. So she'll be speaking. We're going to do this all on Zoom just so that it can maximize the people's ability to come to it. But she will be here in town, and then we'll have some separate meetings with her uh, among our leadership and uh, Common Power. So we're going to have our own time with her. But as part of the field work, she's going to be our guest speaker. As part of the fundraiser, she'll be our guest speaker. We'll pair her time with us with three stories from volunteers who have gone out into the field to do work with us to talk about how it's impacted them. Um, and that's that's always just awesome to hear that from people. So that's the major gist of what's gonna happen in that fundraiser. Now, one more thing I'll mention about the fundraiser is that Charles Douglas, our executive director, as you've noted, uh, Julia, is going to also talk a bit about our philosophy of field work in that fundraiser. We have a certain way we go about it. Um, we've, we've spent a lot of time it, thinking about it this year, about how we do our field work, and we have put into place a kind of set of practices and approaches that we think reflect the, the best ways we do it. And uh, Charles is going to talk about that and kind of cement that for everybody so that you'll understand how we do our work, why we do our work, the way we do it. It is unique to us and the way the way we bring together interracial, intergenerational groups uh, to do this. So that's the agenda of the of the event. We'll see hear from B Win. We'll hear from three uh, volunteers who've been on the field, and Charles will speak as E D about our approach to field work. And um, it'll be all in one hour. And I and I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm fired up. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. I think it's going to be so amazing. I always love seeing representatives who look like me, even if they're representing a different state. Um, that's a win for <laughs> me and all my community. So please, please, if you can, please attend the fundraiser. Um, you can find more details on commonpower.org slash events. Um, and you can purchase tickets for this event through Eventbrite. Um, we are selling tickets for $100 each, but it will be well worth your time and well worth your dollars. Yep. And to this Thursday, so today's Tuesday, um, and this podcast will go up in the next 24 hours, I'm sure. Uh, but on Thursday of this week, the president is going to give an address to the country and talk about democracy and the state of the nation. And I'm looking forward to that because I think Joe Biden is at his best when he's talking about kind of the fight for democracy. 
Um, and I'm going to do an event after that where it's just a little coffee on Zoom for people who want to hang out and talk about uh, the speech and what he had to say and how they're feeling. Uh, so we're going to publicize that on our Common Power IO community. Um, so this is all part of building towards the elections. We're basically 70 days away from when the elections are finished. They start, though, in about 15 days in some of our states. So we're pushing now. Like there's, this is it now. We're we're pushing all the way through election day. Yep, we're meeting the moment, David, and I am so excited. Yes, and these crows that are near me, I've been making all kinds of noise. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think you don't that, mess with crows. Yeah, yeah, don't mess with crows. They're grandchildren. We'll remember you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, we'll wrap it up here. Thank you so much for listening today. And thank you, David, for joining us today. It's always great being on the podcast with you. Well, thanks, Julia, for having us and running this. Actually, I want to ask one question of you as we close here, Julia, mm-hmm. which, um, which is that one of the things that I have watched with you over the time you've been with us as a full-time staffer, which is a little over a year now um, in development, is is watching you become more knowledgeable about, more attuned to um, politics in the United States and elections in the United States and voting in the United States. And it's not that you didn't ever give those attention before, I'm sure, um, but it seems like it's something that you're you've made a decision now to pay more attention to and to learn more about. Um, and I'm, I just thought maybe you might tell us a little bit about why and what that's, what that decision has meant for you and why it's there for you. Yeah, thank you. That's a great question, David. So I came into Common Power um, in the summer of 2020 through Action Academy as a student there. Um, I was pretty well aware of kind of the politics that were playing out in my day-to-day life, especially um, in the height of the Trump presidency and also the COVID-19 pandemic, and of course, um, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, But really, I didn't know a lot about politics, like in terms of like, how does the Senate play out? What is a filibuster? what is Mm. like i didn't even know midterm elections were a thing (laughs) um i was just kind of paying attention to the four-year presidential elections but you know over the course of working with cp like politics is such like it's like the heart of well it's i would say it's a half of the heart that we do here at cp because education is the other critical piece um that we care about here at cp Um, So politics and education is two very big pieces here at CP. Um, People talk about it when I meet for donors, for coffees. They talk about politics. They talk about candidates they're excited for. They talk about candidates they're not so excited for. Um, And I just kind of started slowly developing this kind of political awareness and um, recognizing the necessity to keep up with politics. both because of my job and also like as I grow into like a full-fledged adult that starts to like pay for my own gas or um, Mm. like having to take care of my own like health costs. Um, Realizing that, you know, politics really has a major role in our day-to-day lives, um, in our health, in our environment. So I feel like, you know, it would be 
it, it would be silly of me to not keep up with politics and to not be an educated, active, aware voter, um, especially as someone working for common power, um, but also as like a adult that's starting to grow up and grow this awareness of politics and how they play out in our day to day lives. Yeah, and it's that's and that's great. It's so great, and you 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 actually start to when you learn more about it, you start to be a person who can when you talk to volunteers or donors or friends of yours, um, you're able to uh, to more effectively um, kind of know exactly how we do what we do at CP, right? So it's like it's like joining Microsoft or something and becoming more versed in their software. Like you just you just gain a much deeper understanding of everything so that you can do your job better. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. And I and I have really appreciated it and I've been, I'm glad to see it. It allows us to kind of quickly get into topics and talk about things. Um and so it's part of what we do at CP here is that in hiring really credible young people to do the work, we give them a chance to kind of like develop their own knowledge and learning. Uh, and that's, that's, that's what we wouldn't just, we, we just simply wouldn't do it any other way. That's the way we do it. Thank you, David. And, and might I say, you have also been a major inspiration for me, um, wanting to learn more about politics because I mean, you're the great David Donkey. Like you have a PhD in communication, you know, all about the sphere of politics. Like I wouldn't be surprised if you're like refreshing your Twitter feed every five minutes to <laughs> keep up with the play by play <laughs> politics, but. You know, I have to, I have to keep up. I have to keep up. <laughs> Thanks, Julia. But you're about right. On on average days, I'd say about every half hour. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, David. I look forward to a future political podcast with you. Um, I just know they'll keep getting better and better. <laughs> <laughs>